0: What's up, everyone? This is episode number 39 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And between trips to Walmart and Target right now, you can find me on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum podcast, and my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. Here we are at the end of November. This is obviously a very busy time of the year. For all my U.S. listeners, we've got Thanksgiving this week, Um, but I don't want to take a week off. I want to share some stuff with you anyway. Um, There's a lot going on in the hobby this week, as usual. The hobby doesn't ever really take a break. Um, The main thing I alluded to already, that's the hunt for Prism retail. I have seen so many Walmarts and Targets this week, and a lot of them multiple times, I hit so many of them in one day that um, I had to take a bathroom break at one of them because I had been away from the house for so long. And I made one move towards the bathroom entrance and was hit with a smell that only something in Walmart could produce. Um, And then an employee had just blockaded the entrance with a bench that they dragged from around the corner. He was holding a mop. He was wearing a mask. He was shaking his head. I think someone just straight up exploded on the inside. Um, I turned back around and immediately got stuck behind the longest motorized shopping cart centipede I've ever seen. You know, I'd say there were probably at least four of them bumper to bumper. Um, and I finally got away and walked back to my car at the furthest part of the parking lot. That, just to give you a picture. That's been my week. That was just one Walmart, but it does a pretty good job of summarizing my prism hunt so far. Um, so I don't have any, right? Do I regret the whole thing? No, I don't. Um, and co- someone commented to me that I probably spent a fair amount in gas money along the way. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know what? It's an experience cost. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I am ready to find some. So hopefully we have that soon. Um There was, however, some um, additional big prism news this week regarding first off the line. So I want to touch on that real quick before I get to the main portion of today's episode. I know I've mentioned it a few times in passing, but I haven't talked a lot about first off the line on here before. Um, This was a program that started with 2016, 2017 Immaculate. And the original idea behind the program was that Panini would offer collectors exclusive content and early access to products. Um, They tried to get these to the consumers one to two days before they officially released, and they were sold at the suggested retail price without any sort of markup. So in theory, that eliminated the possibility of a distributor handling these and marking up the price. Um, Some people even speculated that this was Panini's test run to um, cut out distributors. And a lot of the people that complained about the price in the past they didn't realize that a lot of these concerns would be better directed towards the distributors instead. So the whole idea was interesting to say the least. Um, so the way this worked, people would log on to an online, to the, uh, online store on Panini's website or the Panini app and they would try and claim some of these boxes. The immaculate product that I mentioned not too long ago, it had an Emerald base parallel number to five that you can, um, that you could not find in any other immaculate boxes. Um, sometimes these extra hits were appealing sometimes, you know, the prices for these boxes end up being way lower than they were selling for a few weeks later. Uh, sometimes you had a little bit of both and, um, uh, these boxes were all limited and people had a lot of trouble claiming them from the start. And over time, much like in the sneaker game, people figured out that they were big money makers. A lot of people started buying to flip um, you know, some people were treating them as long-term holds. Some people were flipping immediately and still making really good money. Uh, bots got involved. So people figured out how to get a program to get an edge and, and claim multiple boxes for them. Um, Zion came along and the traffic, of uh, people and bots attempting to claim, uh, boxes crashed Panini's site and the whole thing really got messy over time. Um, a lot of people did really well, though, buying and selling these boxes. A lot of people enjoyed ripping these boxes. Um, so, when it worked, it worked well. And if it worked for you, then you probably feel like it worked really well. Um, but, you know, a lot of people had a lot of trouble. So, naturally, there were a lot of complaints. Um, yet, we didn't really hear any word from Panini that the system was going to change anytime soon. Until the announcement for first off the line prism came from out of nowhere. Um, before I talk about the new distribution method, I want to talk real quick about the exclusive parallels. Last year they introduced um, shimmer cards, and I believe they were all, there were several of them, they were numbered to seven for each color. Well, now they have four parallels for the base prism uh, and four for the autographs with the same numbering. So there are blue, which are actually unnumbered. Greens, which are out of 25, golds are out of 10, and then blacks are one of one. The big changes, however, revolve around how you can get these boxes. And Panini announced that they are utilizing a Dutch auction format that begins at 10 a.m. Central time, which is um, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Cyber Monday. And now basically, when we say Dutch auction, that means that they'll start at the maximum box price Um, and then that price will drop every two minutes as customers set the market price for the product in real time. And customers will then be limited to 12 boxes per transaction. Uh, The maximum box price hasn't officially been stated, although there is a picture on the Panini blog that has a graphic that starts at $1,000. If the starting price is $1,000, these probably won't sell out at that price, but I figure there will be some buyers and, um, I, I just can't see the value in these boxes themselves. People weren't super high on the shimmers save for the major players. And, and now one of the shimmers exclusives, um, the blue one isn't even numbered. You know, how does that work? Um, people have been asking me for my prediction on price. Honestly, I could throw out a number, but there's no real way to know. Uh, I think a lot of people might get burned on these, but uh, you know, that's the, that's going to be the price that they choose. And I don't blame Panini for trying this. You know what? People will still buy them. Um, I know sometimes the narrative changes over time once things sink in when there's a big announcement like this. The initial responses I saw to this announcement, though, were not favorable. Um, Yes, it takes care of some of the bots. But like I said earlier, some people have done really well on the first off the line program. So understandably, they're upset. Um, There is one kind of reaction that makes me laugh, though, and and this doesn't go for everyone that was flipping boxes, but some of the people that normally flip these boxes and and have gotten very good at it and have developed a system out of it, they were berating Panini and calling Panini greedy. Um, You know, they're essentially mad that Panini took away a a relatively easy route for them to act on their own greed. Uh, Can I say that? Um, so, you know, whatever, like I said, that, that doesn't apply to everyone that sells boxes, but I thought some of the outrage was funny. And for those of you that were buying these to break or trying to buy a couple and and maybe sell one to cover the cost, I'm sorry to see a good thing in for you, but we'll see how this whole thing goes down. Like I said, it's going to take place Monday, that's cyber Monday. By the time some of you listen to this episode, it will have already happened, Um, I haven't participated in First Off the Line in the past, but I am curious to see where this thing goes. Okay, Um, moving on to the main portion of today's episode. As I mentioned earlier, Thanksgiving is this week. I threw around a couple of ideas in my head as far as topics that I could cover. Um, I thought about doing my top 10 cards of players from Turkey. I'll let that one sink in for a moment. I decided to scratch that. Sorry to the one uh, Ilyasova collector out there. I thought about making a list of the things I'm thankful for. Eh, a little cliche. Um, still though, I do want to take a moment here to thank you guys for being a part of this thing. This is not a one-man show, so thank you to those of you that listen, that download, that post, that comment, that share, um, that email BGS and so on. This would not be possible without you. But that's not where I'm going with this episode either. Um, a lot of you, or at least I I feel like a lot of you, if you're fortunate enough to still have family around, you're probably going to be going back to your parents' house this week or a relative's house, uh, visiting family in some capacity. Some of you will have access to some of your belongings that for one reason or another, you never really took with you to your new house. Um, and those things always make for a good trip down memory lane. Well... I already live fairly close to my parents and, and the other day I was thinking about our old computer and I spent a lot of time on that computer. Um, I, maybe I'll even post a picture of it. I, I have a, the most 2000s picture of me that I think I've seen yet. It's it's me posing in front of a desktop with a big tube monitor um, posing with a Derek Jeter autograph that I pulled. I mean, everything about it screams 2000s. but. Um, Anyway, I I was thinking about this old computer and I knew I had some pictures from Reggie Miller's last season that I had taken with a digital camera, um, which would have been during the 2004, 2005 season. And I kind of wanted to see those again. So I I dug the computer out of the closet. Uh, You know, I I planned on it being a, a fairly easy extraction. I'd plug the computer in, I'd take a flash drive, I'd grab the files and then put the thing back. Well, I dug the computer out of the closet and plugged it in and um, nothing, no power, you know, not a thing. So um, that was not enough to stop me. I opened the computer up. I took out the hard drive. I bought a $15 hard drive reader with one day prime delivery. So thank you, Amazon. And I, I was just hoping that um, this drive was still readable. And it was. I was lucky enough to recover those pictures and so much more. A lot of hobby stuff, in fact, that I think you guys would be interested in. So today's episode, or the, the remainder of today's episode, is a summary of what I found on my early to mid-2000s computer hard drive. Um, sorry to disappoint some of you ahead of time. There will be no official mentions of Kazaa, or ShareBear, or Special you know, even space cadet, 3d pinball. Uh, and if those programs don't ring a bell, don't worry about it. There are many routes that I could take with this whole thing, but I'm going to try and narrow it down to three categories. That would be the things I regret, the things that make me laugh or shake my head. And then finally, the things that have some sort of sentimental value to me. So let's, let's get the bad at least for me. Um, The bad things out of the way first with um, the things that I regret. And I think once you pass that point where you've been collecting for at least a couple of years, many of you are are way past that, or maybe you're approaching that now, you know, wherever you're at in your hobby journey, thanks for listening. Um, But if you have passed that point, you can certainly empathize with this. You get rid of a card at the time you feel like it's the right move. Sometimes you remember it, sometimes you don't. And then you go back to your files one day, or for some people, it's a photo bucket or other people more recently, maybe a Flickr, maybe even an Instagram. And you see that card and I don't know, maybe you get a little sick feeling in your stomach. Maybe it's not that extreme, but maybe it evokes some type of feeling in you. Now for a lot of cards, it's it's simply because they've gone up in value. People are experiencing that with Luca right now. I I remember I sold a, a PSA 9 base Prism Rookie for $20 because it seemed to be the, the market for those for the longest time. Felt like it was a great deal at the time. Now I'm I'm just scratching my head, right? Yeah, I, I don't regret it, but I'm just kind of scratching my head. So um for a lot of cards though, like that, it's because they've gone up in value. Um not long ago it was a lot of Giannis stuff. And it seems like you know, a natural part of the hobby to go through this. Sometimes it's not about value though. Sometimes, um, you get that feeling about a card that, um, is gone and maybe you didn't appreciate it as much until it was gone. So that's me this time. As I'm looking through this hard drive, I've talked about my Ron Artest collection on here before. I hope you're not sick of hearing about it. It was a very modest collection. I was in high school at the time. I was very proud of it. Uh, I think I was the only person that was, you know, really actively pursuing his stuff at the time. So, you know, I could say I was the Ron Artest collector. Um, it gave me a bit of an identity in the hobby. I didn't have a lot of real nice stuff, but I did have an ultimate collection, one of one masterpiece. And at the time it was around a $50 card. I think that's what I purchased it for. But for me, that was a lot of money. Um, but then there was the brawl. And, you know, Ron got in a lot of trouble. I stuck with him through that. Um, the next season, then he asked to be traded. And that was really a punch in the gut to me. So eventually he did get traded. Um, about a year later, I took a break from the hobby or I, I actually transitioned more to baseball for a little bit. I kept some of my basketball cards, but I, I figured I'd cash in on the more valuable ones, um, which that was one of them. And I haven't seen it since then. Um, when I say that, I haven't even seen a picture. I, you know, I've thought about that card multiple times since getting back in the hobby. I, I've tried to grab a lot of Ron Artest since then. In fact, I've gotten a couple of nice cards that I never envisioned that I would own way back then. Well, uh, you know, A Topps Jersey Edition logo, man. That's a monster card for me. I'm really happy to own it. Um, but like I said, I couldn't even find a picture of this one now. Well, uh, I plugged this drive in the reader. Not long after recovering these files, I found a folder with some card scans and lo and behold, there it was just as stunning as I'd remember it. Had a great picture of him wearing the number 91, which was rare for our test cards. He didn't get to wear that number long. Um, it had light blue etched olive foil, just a really classy design. It was a good looking card. And, uh, just the sight of it brought back a lot of good memories and then some bad memories too. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to just sit here and, and romanticize a piece of cardboard. Yeah, I guess that, that feels a little weird, but Hey, that's what this is about, right? That's what this shows about cardboard. Uh, maybe some of you can relate, relate, um, you know, maybe you have one like that, that you wish you could have back. So anyway, I'm hoping this card's out there somewhere. I've talked to the biggest Artest collector that I know. He never had it. So, you know, maybe there's hope. Anyway, I'll post a picture of it. Do me a favor. Be on the lookout for that one, please. Okay. Um, as I keep going, there are other less sentimental regrets that I found on there as I look through more cards. There were a couple of test printing plates I wish I kept, but I never had the same attachment to them. There was a picture of the Chris Paul Gold Refractor rookie I pulled. Um, I've talked about that one before. There's a picture of the 101 Darren Williams Superfractor Auto that I traded it for. You know, I don't know. That one's kind of a wash to me. I don't. I don't regret that one too bad. It made sense to me at the time, and I don't really, really want either card back now. Although it'd always be nice to have a Chris Paul Gold Refractor. Um, okay, I don't. I don't want to spend too long on the regrets though. And get super sappy. And, and really, there weren't a lot of them. But like I said, that's bound to happen as you spend more and more time in the hobby. Uh, let's move on to some of the funny things I found, some of the more awkward things, and some of the things that made me want to shake my head. Um, you've already kind of heard some about it, but it's not surprising that, that there was a lot of content on there about the brawl in Detroit. Just to put things into context, and, and you know, this really wasn't that long ago, but things have changed quite a bit. Um, the brawl was in November of 2004. YouTube actually wasn't created until the next year and it took a little while for for people to start using it. So if you wanted video of something on your computer or if you wanted to watch something, you had to share it with one another. You had to get it from somebody. And I was a part of a Pacers message board where people shared quite a bit of stuff. And, um, as crazy as that night was, there have always been a few moments that made me laugh. So I, I have uh gifts saved of Jamal Tinsley waving a dustpan at someone in the tunnel. And then the greatest sliding punch ever that was delivered by Jermaine O'Neill. Those are probably both on YouTube now, but um, back in the day, you had to have them on your own to be able to watch them or show them to people. Uh, As it turns out, I think I had a a bit of a thing for fights in general. Because I went to another folder. I had a picture of Dale Davis with his hands around Michael Smith's throat in a death grip. Be Michael Smith of the Kings. That goes way back. Um, I had a video of Ben Wallace trying to get in Scott Pollard's face and just kind of jawing at him. I tweeted that one to Scott earlier today. He seemed to get a kick out of it. Uh, I found a video of, of Reggie Miller getting into a fight after a game with Kobe. I use that term fight loosely uh, and for what is worth, Ron Artest tried to act as a peacemaker in that whole exchange. Um, another thing that I got a real big kick out of were all of the banners that I had saved that I either made for myself or for other people. And, you know, once again, I'll try and put this in context because this seems like a strange thing in 2019, but back in the early to mid 2000s, um, on the hobby message boards, a lot of people had banners that displayed under their post. Um, usually they showed what players they collected or what cards they were after. These were l- kind of like little billboards for everyone. Um, you know, today you can still have a signature. You, have, you can have a couple lines of text, but a part of me misses the banner era. Um, you know, for example, I found a, a handful of banners that I made for myself uh, I had one that showed I was looking for tops total pacers cards. I, I had another banner advertising and then I was looking for Ron Artest and rare pacers, which um, I feel like the the visual of seeing those banners again and again really helped me to remember who was looking for what. And that's something that we miss out on now. I guess you still have your avatars, you still have your Instagram. Um, But just scrolling through a page, you know, as long as they didn't take forever to load back then, just scrolling through a page and seeing that was kind of nice to visualize that. Um, Anyway, I wasn't great at making these banners, but I was okay at it. I had a lot of free time then. Um, I even made a few animated banners, which those were a big deal at the time. Sometimes people would offer to trade a card or two for making one. So I have a few on there that I made for other people. Um, There was one for a Delonte West collector. Yes, that existed. Uh, One for an Emeka Okafor collector. Same thing. Of course, he was a big name then. Um, There were other real big name players like Kobe and MJ. But the one that made me laugh the most had Hakeem Warwick and Salim Stoudemire. Those are two names that'll take you back. And it said, Hakeem and Salim, the future is now. Well, in retrospect, it wasn't. Another thing that I found that made me shake my head was a series of clips from the Rick Carlisle radio show. So once again, let me give you some context for 2005. There was no tweeting a player to get an update on health or anything like that. There was no tweeting the beat writers. Um, there weren't constant updates from these writers. Yes, the internet was there, but the platform didn't really exist. So if you wanted an update on a matter related to your team, You had to hope that your beat writer covered it in the next article, or you could talk to some coaches directly on their radio show. I know there are still some coaches on the college level that have shows, maybe pro too. I don't, I'm not aware of any, Uh, I suppose those have become podcasts now because there's really not that much of a difference to be honest, um, save for the fact that it was all live back then on the radio. Um, So, once again, this goes back to the brawl season where the Pacers were just decimated by injuries and suspensions. Uh, In 2005, I think I was either a sophomore or junior in high school, and I decided to call in. You know, why not? Um, I'm definitely still working on my mic skills today, got a lot of work to go. But as you'll hear in a moment, I think I've come a long way. So, let's take about two minutes and transport ourselves back to February of 2005. This is my appearance on The Rick Carlisle Show.
1: The Rick Carlisle Show continues on 1070 WIBC. I'm Mark Boyle. We're here until 8 o'clock. If you have a question or a comment for the coach of the Pacers, dial in. We'd love to hear from you. 239-1070 is our number. 1-800-571-WIBC is also available for your use. And 1070 is our Verizon wireless hotline number we begin with kyle hello sir how are you i'm doing fine tonight Uh, i just had a quick question for the coach first off how are you doing tonight (laughs) i'm doing all right thanks i appreciate your asking oh good i'm calling from florida tonight actually
0: um i grew up in indiana so just a pleasure to talk to you but my main question was uh lately they've had point guard you've had point guard struggles you know with jamal being out and um, I noticed that you've been using Freddie at the point, and um, I think that works good personally. And I, I saw that you inserted him late in the game, and I was just wondering if there is a possibility if you were gonna keep developing him there, and if so, if he was gonna start coming into the games
1: earlier once he gets used to the flow of it. Well, as you've seen the last couple of games, Fred uh, Jones is is certainly capable. of... of of playing the point guard position effectively. And, you know, this is a question I've gotten a lot uh, the last several days um, with, you know, some of the issues of illness and injury um, that have come up. And, uh, you know, my answer is, yeah, we we know that Fred can play uh, the point, uh, but we also need him to play back up too because as a a two guard, um, he can make plays – you know, much like a point guard can from the two spot, which gives you a certain kind of advantage. I could see a possibility of, of him playing that, that position even more depending on, you know, uh, how things go with the roster here in the, in the, you know, in the future. Um, and it's always good to have guys on your roster that can play more than one position. So it's a, uh, you know, and Freddie's had to do a lot of that this year with all of our issues and situations. He's played. Two guard a lot, obviously. He's played the three a lot in the absence of Steve Jackson. And, uh, you know, more recently, he's you know, we've had him at the point during some very critical uh, times. Kyle leaves us. A line available then at 239
0: I love how Rick described an absolute disaster of a season. He said, with all of our, and then that long reflective pause, issues and situations. Right, Rick. Um, Apparently, I called back the next season in October. I didn't remember doing that at all, but I have the audio of it, so it happened. I think I might have called a third time and asked about using a player named Stephen Graham more, which I can't find that audio. Anyway, I'll spare you the agony of the October call and let you know that there was a lot more rambling. Uh, It was rough. So kudos to the professional radio people and head coaches that had to endure that kind of torture questions from kids like me on a weekly basis. All right. Um, so let's move on to some of the things that had some sentimental value to me that I found on there. There was a lot of that. So I'm just going to cover the highlights. There were pictures of family on there. That was nice pictures I hadn't seen in years. Um, I do want to keep this somewhat card related though. There were pictures from Reggie Miller's last season that I had taken in Orlando that's what I set out to find in the first place. So it was nice to see that come to fruition. And then there was a a folder with a real simple title, nice cards. And the nice cards folder um, was full of pictures of cards that I had grabbed off of eBay, um, which probably means they were out of my price range. Then Uh, we didn't have worth point then to save, you know, archived photos. Um, and at the time I enjoyed looking at cards, even if I couldn't own them, you know, much like I would enjoy looking at Instagram today. It's just, I kind of had to create my own version. So you would just put pictures you liked in a folder. Sometimes people did that with a photo bucket as well. Um, towards the end of this album was a card from 2004, 2005, Fleer Fresh Inc. And it was a Pacers and Pistons 10 player patch numbered 10. Those of you that listened to last week's episode, you know that I I now own one of these 10 copies after trying to find one for a number of years. Um, it's not the exact copy I had saved here, but it is from the same print run. And um, it just got me thinking, as as in every other aspect of life and with any goal you set, that's, that's kind of what this folder was for me. It was goals. These are cards I would love to acquire one day. Um, so anyway, you know, as with any goal, when you set that goal and then when you meet that goal, well, it's satisfying and it's really satisfying when you have so much time in between. So to me, it's fitting that this card was one of the last ones that I came across in recovering this drive Um, because that's kind of what it represents to me. The goals I set early on, the long process, the people I've met along the way, the people I've traded with, Uh, And it kind of serves as a form of encouragement for me to keep going with this thing. You know, I really enjoy this hobby. Obviously, I wouldn't host a podcast if I didn't. Um, But for all of those feelings that pictures of some of these cards and this exercise of recovering this drive and talking about it brought back to me, well, for that, I'm thankful. And that's what I'll end with today. And maybe you have hobby mementos of some sort that function in a similar fashion, or maybe my you know quick run through of of this hard drive inspired you to go digging through your old stuff at your parents' house on Thanksgiving. Either way, please let me know about it on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this
1: is the Wax Museum Podcast.